All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am speaking to you today from New York City on the 30th day of August 2016. As always, I'd like to remind you that I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can subscribe to both letters by going to miningstocks.com. We are certainly having a lot of fun and making a lot of money in the gold mining sector. And if Michael Oliver continues with his long-standing winning track record, that should continue for at least a couple of more years. If you would like to join in and take advantage of learning how to make money in these stocks um, that are doing exceedingly well in this new gold bull market, please visit miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com, where you can not only subscribe to my letter and Chen's letter, but also... uh, you can uh, learn a lot about the companies that are in my newsletter because I post links to important news releases from those companies each and every day. Also, since I publish only weekly and speak to you only weekly on this show, I plan to be posting on a regular basis links to short articles that I write, thoughts handed to me sometimes from Michael Oliver that are more timely than what I can give you on this uh, weekly broadcast and in my weekly newsletter. So please do yourself a favor to keep up with this exciting bull market. Go to miningstocks.com. Go there on a daily basis to see what's taking place with these exciting new stocks and to learn what Michael and myself might have to say uh, on an interim basis between our shows. Do you want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable? Our sponsors for today's show are TriMetals Mining, Coral Gold Resources, New Legacy Gold Corp, Brazil Resources, Columbus Gold, and RN Resources. Well, let me just say I'm exceedingly excited about uh, all of my sponsors, and you will be hearing from the CEO of one of them, namely Brazil Resources, in just a few minutes after our first commercial break. Amir Adnani, who is president and CEO of Brazil Resources, will be here to talk about that company's latest acquisition. Uh, a very similar story is being told by RN Resources, which is my second personal largest holding. I did sell some RN after it rose very dramatically uh, a week or so ago, but last week, There was a small correction in the mining shares, and I took advantage of that to add back to my RN position. Very soon, I do expect to be talking to the CEO of TriMetals Mining, where that company has been reporting some exciting higher-grade gold assays that could appreciably improve the economics of uh, TriMetals' open-pit heap leach project that straddles the border of Nevada and Utah. 
Well, this is one of the most exciting times that I can think of in all of the years that I've been following this sector. That goes back at least 35 years. My top pick, Novo Resources, which is not currently a sponsor, but has been in the past, is really starting to catch on. It gained some 24% in a single day last week, and I firmly believe that when the company's test mining results and drill results from its Blue Spec property in northwestern Australia are announced, we will see considerably more upside for the stock. Of course, the truth will come from the drill results, not from what I say. But do yourself a favor and keep up with Novo Resources. That story, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me in the near future to talk about the latest developments in his search for the next Whitwaters Rand deposit in northwestern Australia. Now, Lou Rockwell and Amir Adnani returned today as my guest. And given that this show was pre-recorded prior to my travel to Portugal, uh, I was not able to have Michael on today. But as I noted a moment ago, I do plan to comment on the markets and any significant views from Michael that he passes on to his subscribers over the next few weeks. Uh, to, so really, to take advantage of that, go to miningstocks.com, where I will be posting links to my updates, as well as numerous other links dealing with geopolitics and the markets. Uh, that's at miningstocks.com. Well, today's show, I've titled The Trump Revolution, A Return to Liberty or Something Else. Donald Trump strikes a positive chord with many libertarians when he hits out against NAFTA and the TPP, which have more to do with one world government and empowering the ruling elite than anything to do with free trade. The sovereign right of a nation and local rule is certainly a traditional value of our founding fathers. But can the anger being harnessed for political gain by Donald Trump be used to rid us of the bad elements of our body politic and return us to the ideals of our founding fathers? which uh, both political parties now seem to have a very deep disdain for. That's the question we will be posing to Lou Rockwell in just a few minutes, who will be with us, well, at about half past the hour. We do need to take a commercial break now, but don't go away, because coming up will be Amira Nani, who will join me to tell us about the latest acquisition that Brazil Resources just made. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Amira. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. 
Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me once again Amir Adnani. Amir is the chairman of Brazil Resources, and uh, that's a company that trades uh, in Canada under the symbol BRI. You can buy it down here in the United States, as I have, under the symbol BRIZF. 102.6 million shares outstanding. Been trading in the range of about $1.60 to $2 U.S., uh, and, uh, well, it gives it a pretty, a pretty good, solid market cap, but this is a company that has a lot of things going on for it, and I think, uh, in my view, it has a great deal of upside potential, which is why it is a recommendation in my newsletter as well. Welcome, Amir. Thanks for joining me again. Hey, it's great to be back, Jay, especially uh, on the back of uh, some recent news that we've had. Oh, recent news. you got recent news at a time when uh, this gold mining sector is really coming to life, and uh, it, it is a most exciting time. It's really a, a fun time, again, to be in this business. But, you know, you, you've done a fantastic job, Amir, of picking up lots of ounces of gold in the ground over the last five, six, seven years, uh, you, and you seem to have a knack for being able to pick them up at, at very opportune times, at very opportune prices for your shareholders. And, you know, you've grown your your resource, your total global resource into something around 10 million ounces of gold. And that was before, just this last week, you made another announcement of another acquisition in British Columbia. Uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, it's a, a Titoribi a gold copper project. And uh, you purchased that from Nova Copper. What can you tell us about this latest acquisition? Uh, well, Jay, it's, uh, it's a very important acquisition for us, and it, it comes at a, a very critical time because, like you said, uh, we've spent the last six years really taking advantage of the downturn that, that we experienced in the resource sector until uh, the beginning of this year to make very accretive acquisitions uh, and uh, get to the point of uh, having the, the, the total 10 million ounces of gold resource on the ground in all categories that you touched on. And the key was really to be able to demonstrate to the market and to our investors that we have the capability in identifying and still executing uh, on accretive transactions for uh, BRI. Now, what we've announced at this point is that we've entered into a definitive agreement with Noble Copper, um, a company who's focused on a copper project uh, in Alaska. Last year, Noble Copper had uh, merged or had acquired a company called Sunward Resources. And the property that we're buying from Nova Copper, TT Rebi, was really the flagship project and focus for Sunward mm. prior to its uh, corporate transaction with Nova Copper. And so really in terms of this being 
a, a project that checks all the boxes for us. Uh, you know, think about what we've been looking for as BRI in these years and, and acquiring projects. We've always been looking for projects that are in, uh, in stable and, and uh, basically workable mining jurisdictions, good mining districts, a lot of activity with other companies around us, historic information, historic drilling, right? We, we, the, uh, the thesis has been that we don't want to go and take on new exploration risk when you mm-hmm. can buy previous drilling and ounces already delineated for cents on the dollar. Well, um, at this point, it's still early days in this acquisition. We'll have more developments and news to come. But I can say that this TT Ruby project is in central Colombia. It's, uh, it's in one of the best addresses in Colombia. Some of the other companies in this area include names like uh, Anglo Gold Ashanti, B2 Gold, Continental Gold. Uh, there are companies uh, uh, that have gone into production in this region, uh, and uh, it really is the right address. Uh, and Jay, more importantly, the amount of work that has been done on the TT Ruby project, over 140,000 meters of drilling wow. alone. So just, wow. uh, just, to go, just to go drill that today, just if you and I decide tomorrow to go and drill 140,000 meters, a lot of anywhere, money. We're talking. We're talking about you know 60 to 70 million dollars mm-hmm. of uh, of just uh, of uh, drilling, and that's assuming we had drill targets and a property and everything ready to go, and we pick it up for five million shares, uh, less than less than five percent dilution, about 10 million dollars of value, and uh, it, it really it, this could go down as one of the one of the most important acquisitions BRI has made in the six-year history, uh, and we're very excited about it, and uh, I'll, I'll have more to report and talk about on this in the coming weeks. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, I, I guess you'll be going through a period of due diligence, or is that past you already, and it's just a matter of, of satisfying the lawyer's requirements for closing, or, or where do you stand on the transaction? No, we've done all the due diligence. In fact, we've had our eyes on this asset for over a year now. We uh, we kind of followed it, saw what happened with the with the transaction between Nova Copper and Sunward. Kept in touch with the Nova Copper guys. Uh, frankly, there was interest from other parties in this project. There were a couple of other companies bidding on it as well. Mm. Uh, and uh, so we've done we've done all of our due diligence. We we really wanted it. We made the offer, and what we've announced is we've entered into a definitive agreement. So we've signed the deal up, and that's why we announced it. There's some customary formal procedures we need to complete uh, to uh, get to uh, basically a, a final closing, which uh, is probably about ten to uh, ten days to, to maybe fourteen days out. And then after that, we'll be hiring um, uh, in, uh, independent uh, consulting firms, engineering companies to review this very extensive drilling database. There was historic um, engineering work done, metallurgy work done. So all of that will be uh, uh, reviewed and uh, analyzed, and we'll be coming up with, with our own uh, resource reports and 43-101 numbers and information in the, in the coming uh, weeks and months. Uh, very similar to... The situation with Whistler, when you think about when we acquired the Whistler project uh, last summer, summer of 2015, it took us uh, a, a period to really be able to analyze the historic drilling that was there. And subsequently, we came up with three separate 43-101 reports, right? And we were able to really build our uh, gold resource inventory with that acquisition. Uh, and that acquisition was only 70,000 meters of drilling. Here mm-hmm. you have 140,000 mm-hmm. meters of drilling. So double the amount of drilling. Uh, and... Um, and something that, uh, again, will we'll be keeping us busy. But, uh, again, it's all about sort of what you pay for these uh, assets here in terms of how you create value, in my opinion. And here, not only are we uh, paying for it in off stock, so we preserve all of our cash 
But it's a great vote of confidence that Noble Copper is taking our stock, that they see greater upside value and they see that this coal project will be combined with our uh, other projects in our portfolio, our understanding uh, of uh, being able to advance coal projects and our presence in South America. These are all positive attributes. And um, the fact that Nova Copper is also taking all stock in consideration, I think, uh, speaks volumes about the upside that they see, how they've aligned themselves with our equity. Uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be uh, busy for on this project for weeks and months to come. Well, obviously, uh, I mean, they, they're they're obviously uh, well aware of the other projects that you have with some 10 million ounces of gold in the ground before you may even made this acquisition. But Amir, one of the things that's really impressive about this project that you're picking up is the fact that uh, the company that owned it, as you mentioned, this is their flagship property, Sunward Investments. Well, they had something like a $320 million market cap and there was some very significant investors, I mean, household name uh, you know, high quality investors that were involved with that. What what did you have to pay for this thing? What did you have to pay for this acquisition? Again, uh, five million shares of uh, Brazil Resources today. With this stock having pulled back along with the rest of the gold stocks, that's uh, around eleven million dollars Canadian. Obviously, uh, you know, thirty percent less than U.S. dollars, and less than five percent dilution. Um, so we, we also did issue a million warrants, uh, Jay, but the strike mm-hmm. price on those million warrants in Canadian dollars is about $3.50. Oh. And, and, of course, that, that's still a, over a dollar away from where the current shares are trading at. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, the, 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 what you just pointed out about the, the market cap of Sunward just uh, four years ago speaks to really the extremes in, in our business and the yes. commodity business, how things can go from... One extreme because of a stronger gold price back in 2011, 2012, and I, that wasn't even an extreme. I mean, that that was an environment before we had this four-year uh, kind of bear market for mm-hmm. resources, uh, and uh, how how ridiculous things can get during the bear market. And yeah. now, as we're coming back, there are fewer players around. There are less companies around with capitalization, with the ability to have the right market sponsorship to advance these uh, projects. And I think a company like DRI that has really been acquiring assets for six years, building track record, building credibility, you know, we didn't, the, the key is that. The key is, you know, we've built momentum and, and critical mass over six years. And now perhaps even better opportunities are coming our way. And this is a great example of that. And um, that's a lot of market cap from 2012 that we picked up today for 5 million shares. Again, gold price has to recover. And as it gets back towards the levels it was at in 2011, 2012, um, you can see uh, all the value that we're building inside of BRI that will crystallize more market value uh, as we uh, continue to advance. I have no doubt about that. Uh, I, I really, I, well, you just really, you know, you, you'll soon be acquiring this the way it looks. Almost certainly you will be acquiring this project. It's too early, I guess, to ask you about exploration projects, uh, exploration plans on this project, but I certainly uh, will be looking forward to that. Amir, uh, how is your treasury stacked right now in terms of meeting all of your various exploration plans this year, including uh, your new acquisition? Yeah, so Jay, uh, we're, uh, we're running right now in Canadian dollars uh, at a burn rate of uh, just over $3 million annually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so $3 million a year burn rate and um, Canadian and we're sitting at uh, on on just about nine million dollars of cash Canadian, uh-huh. and so we're well covered right now in terms of what our needs are. Uh, the company is really definitely and for its needs over the next couple of years is well capitalized. 
And um, and really on this project, um, as we talked about, the goal would be to uh, do the final closing of the acquisition by early September. And after that, uh, get to work on uh, reviewing this, again, very extensive drilling database and all the work that was done by Sunward between 2010 to 2014. So we got four years of work to uh, review and uh, start releasing information uh, from. And um, and I, I really like this, Jay. I mean, this is quite a good position to be in where you can leverage that much historic work to, to generate new flow and value for your shareholders rather than taking on the, the exploration risk inherent and just going out and drilling. So still like this model as a way of creating value. And uh, and obviously we, we will have some news on other fronts as well with what we're doing in Brazil and what we're doing in the U.S. And, you know, Jay, I got to say, we, we started life with in this Brazil resources uh, because geographically we were very much focused for our first uh, four years of life in Brazil and perhaps I'm thinking as the year goes on here maybe uh, we need to have uh, almost like a rebranding and uh, and a a brand that is maybe more reflective of this very diverse and uh, extensive portfolio we now have being in the US, Colombia and Brazil so I think that'll be exciting as well as a way of being able to streamline the story and uh, make sure uh, we have a brand and name that really captures uh, all the work we've done in building a very extensive pipeline of gold ounces in the ground uh, from the U.S. down to Colombia and Brazil. I can only say that with the big guys having trouble keeping up with their um, with their production, that is replacing the ounces they pull out of the ground every year, uh, as you're building some projects with major multi-million ounce um, resources on them, Amir, I have to think that uh, you're a name that a lot of the bigger guys are going to have their eyes on going forward. It's really going to be exciting. I, uh, I would just like to ask you, what do you think uh, investors should be looking forward to for what sort of drivers might, I mean, your share price is up about triple or so from the beginning of the year, uh, but what sort of drivers might investors be looking forward to now in addition to this new project? What else might you have uh, that they should be keeping an eye on news releases? Well, Jay, I mean, as, as we've seen since the beginning of the year, you know, it, it took a 30% move in the price of gold to see the equities uh, rise uh, 200 to 400% across the board. So yeah. it's been an incredible year for uh, gold equities, and BRI is no exception. Uh, but uh, this, this month, uh, you know, August and early September, we've seen Things are going to be consolidating a bit. Obviously, summer doldrums and a very healthy kind of consolidation. We're going to be uh, very busy in the fourth quarter of this year. Obviously, we have this acquisition with TT Rebe to complete and uh, and to also have more news come out on that. We'll have more acquisitions that we'll uh, uh, look to potentially announce. And uh, and I think uh, i got to come back on this uh, radio show with you, hopefully maybe in a month's time, and we'll talk about all these new things and developments. Well, it's very exciting, Amir. Um, I can't wait uh, to to keep up with you and to hear what you have to tell us the next time. So uh, I want to thank you very much for being with us, and uh, we'll look to do it again in a month or so. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. Well, thank you, Amir, and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime soon, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Well, folks, we do have to take a commercial break now, but don't go away, because Lou Rockwell of the Mises Institute will be here with me to answer the question for the day, namely, can the Trump revolution result in a return to liberty or something far less favorable? Don't go away. We'll be right back with Lou Rockwell.
Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned, near-surface, Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Lou Rockwell. Most of you know Lou. Uh, certainly most of you who listen to this show would be familiar with Lou Rockwell, but for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with him, uh, he is a proponent of the Austrian School of Economics. He is uh, chairman of the Ludwig von Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. He is the author of a book uh, titled The Left, the Right, and the State. That was published in 2008. More recently, he's written another book called Against the State. Like my friend Jeff Dice, who is also now with the Mises Institute, Lou also served Ron Paul as his congressional chief of staff. That was back in uh, 1978 through 1982. Mr. Rockwell uh, is closely associated uh, with his teacher and colleague uh, in the past, uh, Murray Rothbard, until uh, Murray Rothbard's death in 1995. Lou is also the publisher of the political weblog lourockwell.com. I would really urge you to go there. There's an abundance of refreshingly libertarian thought that I think has the potential to actually restore sanity into people's lives again. Now, anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis can understand why I'm really pleased to have Lou back with me again today. Thanks for joining me, Lou. Jay, great to be with you. Always good to talk to you. Uh, We don't do it often enough, for sure, and I must uh, confess that I don't partake of a lot of the material that you have at lourockwell.com as frequently as I should either. But it's all a matter of time, isn't it? And finding a time and allocating our time, (laughs) it's a tough tough chore, especially these days with so much information coming at you from so many sources. Uh, Even if you try to stay into a free market libertarian perspective, there's a lot coming at you as well, which I guess is one of the bright spots in our in our future potentially at least if we have a lot of information along lines that wasn't available to people in the past uh, at least now we have the internet and provides uh, some contrarian thought right no it's true and and uh, thank goodness because as uh, Tom Woods always points out in the tradition of, of Rothbard 
when it comes to any significant issue, there is no difference. Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, they're all the same. If there's a war to be started, um, if uh, there's a candidate to be defeated, there's absolutely no dissent. They're all exactly on the, you know, have to hate Russia, go yeah. to war against Russia, whatever, go to war against Iraq, go to war against Iran. Uh, I, I hope not, but that's... Uh, Certainly, a lot of them would like to do it. There is no difference. So, uh, how wonderful that we do have, all, as you say, all these sites on the internet, giving us a different point of view, so that people can make up their own minds and not just be brainwashed by the mainstream media. Uh, in the old days, it used to be just the three channels. All right. Uh, now there are many more, but they all uh, sing from the same uh, ugly songbook. It seems to be the case, doesn't it? And you know, somebody said if everybody's thinking alike, no one is thinking, and it seems to be uh, that is a lot of what's going on. I know the work of um, uh, Bernays. I, you may be familiar with Edward sure. Bernays and his work, and that's, that's something I want to address on this show sometime in the near future because I think it's so important. How is it that we have all become sort of thinking along the same lines? I mean, it's very easy to know what is politically correct and what views you're supposed to take with regard to any issue. Uh, it's just like we're all just being programmed like monkeys to think alike and uh, and just to, you know, without any thought, just to obey the state. And it is a, it is a frightening prospect, I think. So somewhat refreshing then in many ways, although with some trepidation, I've been very intrigued by Donald Trump and what he's doing because it does seem as though there is an undertow of discontent in the country about the status quo, about the things you were just mentioning, endless wars. And, and clearly, if people don't understand why, they do understand that their standard of living has been in decline, especially most of the middle class, except for the mm -hmm. upper 1% or one-tenth of 1%, perhaps even now. I was talking to a friend of mine, a banker in New York City, and uh, you know he's, uh, he's talking about the 1%. I said, Jay, probably you're talking about the one-tenth of 1% that are really, <laughs> right. really skimming everything off the top, because at least in the New York City area, you can have a pretty good salary that would do, go far, probably down in Auburn, Alabama, where you are there, but uh, New York City, uh, you know, people aren't doing all that well if they're making a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars even so in any event i'd like to talk to you Lou, about or have you talk to us i should say about donald trump now you know uh, really quite a phenomenon i'd say wouldn't you i mean uh, really out of nowhere it seems well tremendous and of course a tremendous personality uh successful businessman very successful businessman um, he's no libertarian, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, uh, as Rothbard used to point out, about the only hope in a system like ours of reaching over the heads of the elite uh, directly to the people is by uh, the kind of guy that is uh, sometimes called a demagogue. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's got the, uh, the uh, rhetorical power, the personality, and you would hope the right ideas to uh, be able to communicate, because otherwise everything's shut off. Uh, by, the, by the media, by academia, by big business, by, by big government, of course, primarily. All these forces working together to, as you mentioned, Edward Bernays, his phrase, engineering consent. So they all are, are uh, wanting to get our consent to what they're doing. And it's, it's always an important thing to, to uh, keep in mind that they actually need our consent. They worry about our consent mm -hmm. because they are a small group relative as compared to the rest of the population, even though... Um, there's a vast number of people on the government payroll, but uh, they still are, are a minority, those who are net uh, tax eaters, as John C. Calhoun would have put it, and uh, net tax payers, <laughs> uh, the rest of us. So that's the, that is the, as, as Mises pointed out, that is the class struggle in society. It's not Marx's class struggle of uh, 
uh, of the producers versus the proletariat and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's actually those uh, ripping us off through the state and those who are being ripped off. Mm-hmm. So if anybody can appeal to the ripped off, um, it's, it's, it's something quite wonderful. And I don't, um, you know, I have my, like I guess everybody, my very serious doubts about Trump. About all I will say about him, I think he's, besides, of course, being such an extraordinary figure, it's a big, bo- it's a big bonus with Trump that all the right people hate him. Uh-huh. So uh, when uh, Grover <laughs> Cleveland was nominated for president and uh, the guy giving the nominating speech was, was uh, sort of a boring speech, and it wasn't until the seconding speech uh, that the convention went wild. And he was talking, and he ended up by talking about, uh, uh, he said, all the things we love Cleveland for, his uh, iron will, his sense of justice, and so forth. But he, he, said, he said, we love him most for the enemies he has made. <laughs> so, I mean, that's right. I mean, yeah. so if somebody has all the right enemies, that's something. Yeah. Uh, also, I'll, you know, my guess is that Hillary Clinton will be 100% evil. Donald mm-hmm. Trump might not be 100, 100% mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, d- I don't say much more about him for that, except that he has brought up uh, the unbelievable evil of cultural Marxism, political correctness, for discussion. It, mm-hmm. nope, they all agree, of course, on this stuff, uh, the entire elite and all, the, all their followers. Uh, so the rightness or the wrongness of cultural Marxism it was just imposed on us. It was never discussed, never, never questioned. So he helped do that, and he also helped bring up the whole question of immigration. There's been a a deliberate federal policy to demographically change the country without any discussion. There was, you know, in fact, if you said boo about this, you were Hitler. Yeah. So uh, um, it's good that this can be discussed. So is, what will Trump actually do? Will he be any good? Will he actually turn out to be better than Hillary? I have my hopes. I, of course, would never vote for anybody, let alone give them a donation. Um, but uh, in Rothbard's uh, phrase, I, I'm rooting for him. Just like I rooted for Pat Buchanan, who was a similar figure, or mm-hmm. or some others, but I must say I don't. Ha- I wouldn't put a lot of faith in him. And, yeah. uh, as you as you point out, anybody who runs for office, there's something <laughs> with, with Ron Paul. I would say is the sole exception I've ever known. Doesn't didn't actually doesn't actually want power over others. Yeah. <laughs> so it's what uh, Saint Augustine referred to as the libido dominandi. The the, uh, the, uh, the, the desire to dominate, the, the, and this, of course, it comes with the will to dominate. Yes. Wanting to run other people's lives. Uh, most of us are just have enough of a job r- running our own lives, cons- being concerned with our own families, our own communities. We're not actually interested in running the next town or the next country. But there are people, of course, who live for that, who also enjoy killing. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the people who rise high in the state tend to be people who uh, like sending out kids to kill and be killed, and they get a charge out of that. Yeah. That's a... That's a, it's a horrible. You don't want people like that in, in charge of you. All right. So um, we, just, we just have to see what happens. But it's, I must say, this is the most fun election I can remember since Barry Goldwater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since it's being attacked much more than poor Barry was. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, they'll probably and probably have already uh, tried to make Trump look like he would, you know, give the same image, uh, the mushroom cloud that they did with Barry Goldwater, make him <laughs> exactly right. the dangerous guy, when in fact, as you said, we know 100% what we're getting with Hillary. We know what she's going to be about. We know what the establishment's about. It's about endless wars. It's about more socialism. It's about 
ripping people off, uh, uh, penalizing those that produce and giving to the bankers and others who skim off the top who don't really produce anything, but just basically line their pockets with new money creation out of thin air and redistribution of wealth. It is a horrible story. It's, it's, if only the American people could understand what's going on, but do you think anyone, very, very few people, what percentage of the population has any understanding that creating money out of nothing is a redistribution process from, and not only that, but, but it isn't even going to the poor people or the people in the middle class, it's going to the rich. So while Bernie Sanders talks about uh, you know, taxing the rich or whatever, uh, the, the policy of redistribution goes on to the top, people at the top through the money creation, right? Well, you know, people, uh, I think people can be, this can be explained to people, in, in my experience, and I know this is in your experience too, people can learn about this, it, it clicks with them, mm-hmm. uh, even though they don't, they start out not knowing much economics, and that's deliberate, by the way, because uh, yes. if you know some economics, it helps you see exactly what the government is doing, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, think, I think more and more people are feeling ripped off, they are being ripped off, uh, the standard of living is declining. Uh, the power elite is uh, getting richer and richer and richer um, at the expense of the rest of us through the state, and uh, it's a very nasty system. And I think I, I think people are waking up, and it's the job of people like us, Jay, mm-hmm. to try to tell them about what the real issues are and what economics has to tell us, what real history has to tell us, uh, the right sort of political philosophy uh, has to be obviously put in simple terms. But I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's just a huge amount of upset, of uh, r- really roiling upset in, in the, among the American people that scares the pants off the establishment. They worry about this. This is one of the reasons they hate Trump so much. Also, they, don't, they hate Trump because, and of course, we're only talking on the margin, he seems uh, less of a warmonger than Hillary. Right. So right. he said, which of course is considered an unbelievable outrage, he said, he said I can deal with Putin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Wait a minute. You mean you don't want to nuke him and uh, kill everybody in Russia because they're yeah. just like the Soviet Union? By the way, the Soviet Union was never much of a threat to us either because they were such an economic basket case. That was yeah, right. pretty much all a uh, right. uh, con game too. Um, but Russia, Putin, as compared to Hillary or Bush or Obama, uh, is a much more peaceful guy. I mean, he's not. He's actually not as much of a warmonger. It doesn't mean one can endorse him but, mm-hmm. uh, or anybody else in public office. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, the idea that we should have a nuclear war with Russia and maybe end life on Earth over some, uh, you know, <laughs> some ridiculous issue like uh, Crimea, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's absurd. It's just, it's, well, it's, it's more than absurd. I mean, it's actually insane. Yeah, I mean, and, and here we go with uh, the troops, uh, the NATO troops stationed around Russia right now. We don't allow the Chinese to patrol their own sea lanes. Um, <laughs> I, I, it just, I mean, and yet, and, and, you know, the Chinese don't have their warships in the Gulf of Mexico or off our coast somewhere. The Russians <laughs> are not here either, and yet somehow they are the the biggest menace that we have somehow. I mean, that's, that's the way it's presented to us. And I guess it's what Eisenhower warned us about, the military-industrial complex, eh? This, I mean, is it, who's in control of this? I know Jeff Deist, once I was talking to him about this, and he said, you know, Jay, e- each of these big bureaucracies in the government are, you know, mammoth entities that are really out of control, each of them. And so who's, who's really running the show here? Is anyone running the show, or is it just a growing level of chaos 
around you know in the system or is there someone who could actually guide this ship well first of all of course the the uh, they're running us is the mm-hmm. is the problem um that's apps you know it's it's true there are these gigantic national security bureaucracies and other bureaucracies i would say more important you have the outside especially power elite. You have uh, the George Soros's of the world, the Charles Kochs, uh, the multi-billionaires who, who use the government to enrich themselves and achieve their uh, invariably very left-wing social goals. Ever since John D. Rockefeller, and maybe uh, long before that, if one were to look back into, uh, into history, the oligarchs tend to be social leftists. Mm-hmm. And um, Ralph Rako argues this is because they want to get the intellectuals on their side because otherwise they would be subject to attack for being wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a way to protect mm-hmm. themselves from the state. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. I think uh, Garrett Garrett had some other, other reasons. It was a way to separate themselves from the middle class, from the bourgeoisie who tended to be socially conservative. Right. Uh, so for this reason, they became socially leftist and collected the wackiest uh, kind of modern art, and as Nelson Rockefeller did, and so right. So you can see someone like a George Soros, who's insanely wealthy, and not draw any criticism from the left, essentially, because he espouses all these liberal, totalitarian, Marxist, uh, leftist, communist sort of uh, philosophies, right? Well, we can see the power of Soros. There was a great article on Zero Hedge uh, the other day about. You've had this unbelievable uh, leaking of uh, internal documents of the uh, Open Society Foundation or Soros' Foundation and some yes. of those other groups about what he's doing. And uh, um, Zero Hedge pointed out there's been no attention paid to this in the mainstream media. None. Zippo. That's so right. this, is, this guy is very, very powerful. Uh, Hillary's got a number of these, of these people around her who are her funders and her controllers. So who's actually controlling things? Well, it's not just Soros can't push a button and bring about something because, of course, of these gigantic bureaucracies. But if you are encouraging the state to expand, if you're encouraging the state to gain more power and do more horrible things and you're enriching yourself in the process, that is a far easier job than trying to get the state to restrain itself. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think really it's a combination of the state, of all the various uh, bureaucracies, and of these outside figures. Uh, one thing we always have to remember about the state, as, as evil as it, unbelievably evil as it is, I would say it's mankind's uh, greatest enemy on earth. Uh, nevertheless, it tends to be a stupid institution, because uh-huh. this, just because that's the state. So the, the ideas and the, the sort of intellectual guidance uh, comes from outside. It comes from intele- from academics and other intellectuals, uh, but it, it's put into effect by the Soroses, mm-hmm. the Rockefellers, mm-hmm. uh, all all these sorts of uh, people. Well, these are people that have tremendous amounts of money. And again, I think it was Lord Rothschild that said some time ago that if you allow me to control the money system or the printing presses, I do not need a standing army. So what he meant by that, I think, is that he could buy people off. So you have the Clinton Foundation, for example that is tied in so strongly with these leftist with leftist ideas and they pose as capitalist as real free market i mean you, you know people think of them as as capitalist and good people but uh they are, it seems to me though it's all about buying people off in a sense isn't it what about the federal reserve economists they all think alike uh, they're, they're all they're all basically keynesians for the most part they can't see any different way they could never envision uh, Ludwig von Mises or, or or any of the Austrian school thinkers could they? No, and you know it's a uh, Larry Parks uh, did a study once um, showing that uh, almost every except Joseph Salerno here at the Mises Institute, 
almost every single monetary economist in the country is on the payroll of the Fed. Mm-hmm. And this, Chris, is not exactly shocking. This is the way, is the, the way these uh, criminal organizations work. So either they're getting uh, um, co- uh, invitations to very super-duper conferences, or they're getting fellowships, or they're getting to do studies, or they're brought in for uh, you know a, a, a time at themselves at the Fed. They're all on the payroll. So yes, they all sing the the Fed song, and uh, it's exactly the same in in, in the so-called national security area. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, all the intellectuals are on the government payroll, uh, or on the payroll of the big companies, the big military contractors, the merchants of death, as they used to be called in an earlier era, mm-hmm. um, who are the promoters and f- and the uh, uh, st- strategists of war and uh, help the government decide who they're going to murder next. It's, uh, it, it's a complex situation, but it's, it's power and money uh, right. that drive everything. And uh, right. also, so, I think, I would argue evil. I mean, I think these yeah. people are evil. They're not just mistaken. Right. There are a lot of mistaken people. These, these people mm-hmm. at the top mm-hmm. are uniformly evil. I've known a lot of younger people who are trying to make their way in life, and one uh, particular young fellow at the church that I attend, he he was uh, in history. That's his his history is his field, the one he loves, uh, and yet I could see as in my discussions with him how difficult it was for him to pursue history from a from a completely objective point of view. He had to write and think and say things that would satisfy. Uh, his professors, if he was going to get the grant that he needed to continue on, so isn't this the way they? This is the way they do it. If you're a young person, you have a family, you need to feed the family. Uh, you know, how do you go about? How do you make your way? Well, you have to just sort of step in line with your superiors, right? That's the way they control you. Well, it's very tough. I, I uh, I'll always be. I'll remember when uh, Tom Woods, who was um, summa cum laude all the way through school, he had his bachelor's in history from Harvard and his. M. Phil and his Ph.D. from Columbia, all under top teachers, early publications, wonderful teacher, wonderful writer. Uh, he couldn't get one I- interview. Not, not only couldn't he be hired as an historian, he couldn't get one interview. Nobody was interested in talking to him because he was a libertarian. Mm. And uh, history is, if anything, even worse than economics in that way. Mm-hmm. So, yes, to be a historian who is going to explore the actual who, who, who did what to whom... Mm-hmm. And why? Uh, those questions, of course, are all forbidden. Yeah. Uh, history, you have to have, you have to teach the, especially the official story of all the U.S. wars, if we're thinking of our own country. Uh, you're not allowed to ever question the glory and the wonderfulness of every single murder the U.S. has committed. How many millions of people has it killed in its, in its long career of, of uh, war? I, you know, I, I'd love to know a, an accurate figure. Mm-hmm. A, a, a gigantic number. Yes. Yes, and uh, so, you know, we still watch movies of uh, the evil Hitler and all of that, and yet um, we don't pay too much attention. I mean, how many Americans really understand that George Soros was involved in the overthrow of, uh, you know, of, of the Ukraine, a government that was elected by the people, uh, and that it was a, you know, it was a conspiracy on the part of George Soros's people. I think that was, there was also a Zero Hedge article recently that, that pretty well documented that. Daniel McAdams, who's been on this show frequently, has talked about the connections between mm-hmm. Victoria Newland and, and George Soros and his various uh, NGOs. So uh, people don't really understand this because, as you say, they're not allowed to. I mean, they're, they're allowed to, but they don't, they're not told in the mainstream media. So uh, thank God for the work that you do at the Mises Institute and, uh, and people like you. Um, that's, that's our hope. With a few minutes we have left here yet, I'd just like to get 
refocus a little bit on Donald Trump. You know, he, he as you mentioned, he's a businessman. Is that a positive, do you think, uh, for, the, for the presidency? I've tried to... Uh I've asked a lot of other people. To my knowledge, and this is, I'm glad to be proven wrong, uh, there's never been a dictator businessman. Uh-huh. Interesting. So that, I think that's, you know, that, uh, that says something. Doesn't mean there couldn't be a first, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, really all American presidents are, have been dictators since Franklin Roosevelt and um, Lincoln and Woodrow Wilson before that during their, during their wars. Um, so I, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's good not to be part of the gang. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you'd have some new approaches. It's one of the things that scares the whole regime about him uh, that he's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think that's a good thing because uh, if he's unpredictable, maybe he'll actually do something good, as shocking as that might be. I'm trying to think. When was the last time a president did anything any good? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we could say when Nixon uh, legalized gold ownership. I, I guess that was actually under Jerry Ford a little bit before that. But then Nixon, I think, uh, in my view, is one of the worst presidents we've ever had because yes, he, he he reduced, uh, he took, he, he allowed, he opened the money spigots for the kind of indebtedness and, and runaway inflation and redistribution of wealth that's occurred. Uh, yeah, it's hard to figure anybody that's that's done good. But when you, uh, any president of, of late that's done, that's done good. But if you look at... Um, you know, with respect to Trump and his desire to deal with uh, his desire to deal with Putin, I mean, you could sort of see his business cap going on there. Oh yeah, I'd like to open some hotels in in Russia. And okay, well, well, maybe you can. Uh, maybe there's something we need in the United States, uh, Vladimir, that you can provide for us. Well, let's see if we can. Maybe we can work together here on this thing. And I could. That's sort of kind of what I thought. At the same time, you know, he he seems to be such a raving lunatic at times that that he does sort of scare me so donald trump it seems to me could could really um you know as a as a businessman might think like a businessman instead of a dictator as you suggest and could do some some really uh, good things possibly but again i i do i am concerned about his temperament and his uh his um use of language sometimes it seems to be a little bit erratic and and what are your thoughts on that lou well i i kind of like his use of language as you know as to um i i know that he's called a lunatic um but if we think, you know, what what is what is being presidential supposed to be? Well, it's supposed to be cold um, and uh, you know, ordering the the deaths of millions without any emotion. I mean, that's the way you're supposed to mm-hmm. be. Well, is that mm-hmm. supposed to be as really is that a superior a superior thing? I Scott Adams, the guy who does the Dilbert cartoons and has an interesting blog. He he argues that Trump is one of the great uh, and uh, Adams says he's an expert in persuasion. I have no reason to believe he's not. Mm-hmm. Also a hypnotist, so maybe that helps. But anyway, mm-hmm. he, uh, he says that uh, he thinks Trump is one of the great persuaders he's ever seen and that everything he does is calculated. And I think, the, and of course, he's always been seen to be an off-the-cuff kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you can't build a skyscraper like that. Right. So you have to, every detail is important. Every, oh, every uh, item has to be planned. So I don't know that this is who knows what the actual situation is, but Adams argues that uh, what seems to be mistakes on Trump's parts are really uh, aspects of a brilliant persuader, yeah, uh, as a great salesman mm-hmm. uh, and negotiator. So um, is that is that correct? Uh, well, yeah. I, I, what I was thinking a, a moment ago with regard to uh, this uh, this book I read on um, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just reading through that book, you get the sense of the discontent in Germany during the 1930s as a result, of course, of World War I, the reparations that were imposed on the German people. We know the story, how the German economy was run into into the ground. And to a certain extent, Lou, it seems similar to what's going on now, 2008, 2009, nothing was corrected. It was just made worse. The middle class is continuing to to hurt uh, and be destroyed and uh, at the expense of the top one-tenth of one percent and so forth. So uh, that, that's my concern is that there, there could be this sort of anger welling up in the population without people really understanding what's going on that could overflow into something really nasty. But on the other hand, as you say, we know 100% what we're getting with Hillary. Uh, there's a chance perhaps something good could come out of a change in power. And of course, and the, the current system is pretty nasty as it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. A, it's a very nasty, not only for people in America, but for the whole world. The U.S. is not a benefit to mankind, despite all the propaganda. You know, there was an excellent, uh, an excellent interview that you did with Roger Stone, and I would really suggest to my listeners that they go to your website. Uh, I guess that's at lewrockwell.com, or it was a YouTube interview anyway. If it's you up just, on YouTube, too, but it, the audio is on lewrockwell.com, or you can go to YouTube to get it. Right, and, and one of the things you mentioned in your discussion with, uh, with Roger Stone uh, was you were disappointed after Reagan was elected. This sort of outsider who wasn't supposed to be elected came in, uh, was, was voted in by the people, and then immediately he was surrounded by the same group of people, George uh, W. Bush, of course, uh, Senior Bush, um, son of Prescott, was brought in, uh, and, um, the you know, they sort of, the power elite circled the wagon again. What do you think the chances are of that happening if Trump were elected? You know, I, I just want to mention that, I, uh, you know, I think Reagan, if you examine his record, which is never done, by the way, yeah. as governor <laughs> of California, he was a massive tax increaser. He was, in fact, all his tax increases helped bring on Prop 13. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a, a big pro-abortion guy. He was a big socialized medicine guy. I mean, he was nothing like the propaganda. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, Reagan, Reagan, of course, was extremely charming and, and uh, a wonderful speaker and personality and all that kind of thing. So um, that can certainly combine with very bad stuff. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt had a great personality, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I really, who knows? I mean, certainly... Yeah. Trump has got a lot of establishment people around him. Uh, a lot of the people he's bringing on as advisors are no good. Uh, on the other hand, again, I th- you know I look at Hillary and I look at Soros uh, pulling her strings, and that's a pretty scary thing. Yeah. But again, Obama's pretty scary. George W. Bush was scary. Clinton was scary. I mean, it's <laughs> this is uh, the U.S. Yeah. regime is a very scary thing. We all feel it getting more totalitarian by the minute. Um, uh, seeking to regulate every aspect of our lives, every aspect of everything every businessman does, making us all poor unless you're in the government or uh, at the very top of the regime. So it's very scary and awful what's happening right now, even though we're all supposed to be calm about it. We shouldn't be calm about it. We should be upset. We should be angry. We should want to do something about it. And uh, it's very important, uh, quote Rothbard again, uh, if we're talking about, say, economics questions, he said it's very important that people understand economic error and economic truth. It's very, Mm -hmm. very important they understand that. But that's insufficient to bring about change. You also have to show people they're being ripped off. Right. So if people people are feeling they're being ripped off, and they sure are being ripped off, that is a major step towards making some significant changes. Right. Can we do it? That's the challenge. 
Yeah, well, certainly, uh, you know, people do feel that they're being ripped off. I think that probably explains the phenomenon of Sanders and Trump. The question in, then is, uh, you know, can the wisdom of Ron Paul, uh, an understanding of what is really happening, what the real causes of them being ripped off is, for example, if people really understood the relationship of the Federal Reserve and the creation of money and the redistribution of wealth. But to get the average person to understand that, Lou, is very difficult, isn't it? It is difficult, although, of course, as you mentioned, Ron, Ron has had tremendous effect in helping people understand what the Fed is. Uh, I would credit Ron with the, the, the Fed feeling under pressure, and they have felt under pressure ever since mm-hmm. his presidential campaigns. Uh, they had started to hire PR people. They started to uh, try to portray themselves as just great guys uh, concerned with the common wheel and so forth, uh, rather than uh, distant technocrats. Um, so it's, I think Ron uh, woke up a lot of people. But, you know, we're so lucky to live in the age of Ron Paul, is all I can say. Because if you look at all of American political history, all of American history, there's only ever been one Ron Paul. Uh, Every other politician, uh, even Jefferson and people like that, uh, had major failings Mm -hmm. uh, in their times in office. Major, major status steps. Uh, So Ron Paul... I, you know, if uh, if, we, if we have a Ron Paul future, boy, are we going to be lucky. Well, I think uh, one of the things about Ron Paul, too, is he always remains an optimist. And I think that uh, uh, that's essential, too, Lou. You know, it's very easy to get down on the world and the way things are going. But we do need to have some hope and some optimism. And, um, and Ron has planted that, I think, probably in a lot of young people. Uh, and who knows what the future might hold. I think all we can do, Lou, is do the best we can to tell the truth. I know that's what you do on your site, lourockwell.com. And, uh, well, we'll just continue to carry on as long as the good Lord gives us uh, breath and time on earth, right? So, Well, that's want- right. And, and, and mentioning the Lord, he wins in the end. So we have to be optimistic about all of, uh, all of human history from, from that standpoint. And we have to be, I think, you know, hope is a virtue. So it's very important to to have hope and to uh, not give up. Absolutely. We can't give up. We may not give up. It's not right and it's not healthy. We have to keep fighting. And by the way, uh, as you know, fighting for the right is a lot of fun as well as being (laughs) a good thing. Yeah, it it definitely gives you peace and joy to know you're fighting for the right thing. And, you know, our founding fathers certainly had a lot to be upset and and down about, too. But they did agree with the statement you just made uh, when they talked about being endowed by our creator, capital C, with his inalienable rights. And I think, if nothing else, Lou, that gives us the reason to carry on and to fight for what's right. I want to thank you very much for being with us today and uh, really would like to have you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Jay, it's an honor to be with you, and thank you for having me on. Always good. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Alana Mercer is scheduled to be with us to discuss her latest book, The Trump Revolution, The Donald's Creative Destructive Deconstructed. So we hope to see you then. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. 
TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. <laughs> 